0: This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast in our retail recovery series brought to you by Charles Russell Speechley's. My name is Caroline Greenwell. I sit within our litigation and dispute resolution division, and I also head up the firm's consumer brands campaign. So I have a very keen interest in the topic of today's conversation, which will revolve around how the retail and food and beverage sectors Pause and reflect on the situation they find themselves in and best reset and restructure for the future. I am delighted to be joined today by not only two of my colleagues in our corporate restructuring and insolvency department, but also the founder and CEO of Procure4, who are procurement and efficiency specialists with a huge amount of experience in the food and beverage and retail sectors. So I'll just let Jason, Roger, and Nigel tell you a bit more about themselves before we dive into the discussion.
1: Thanks, Caroline. Uh, I'm Jason Friedman. Uh, I'm a partner in the corporate restructuring and insolvency team at Charles Russell Speechless. I've been a partner for just under a year, and I've been with the firm for over 14 years. Um, I've seen um, the the market go through a number of um, cycles in the past. Um, This is an unusual cycle. So we'll we'll touch on more of that in a moment, and I'll hand over now to Roger.
2: Thanks, Jason. Um, Roger Alford, uh, partner in the corporate restructuring and solvency team, Uh, been at the firm twenty years. Work on a broad range of mandates, particularly particular focus on 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 retail assignments, Um, and in the last six months, been particularly busy acting for uh, both retailers and landlords in relation to the challenges they've been facing in relation to COVID, so look forward to discussing those issues with you today. I'll hand over to Nigel.
3: Caroline, Thank you for that introduction, Nigel Story from Procure4. Um, We're a consultancy business, been going for about 18 years now, and a significant part of our work is in retail, but we also have experience across multiple sectors, um, looking at the way businesses manage their supply chains in particular, but also their cost structures and looking at ways in which organisations can be more efficient or can reduce costs um, in a number of different ways. Before that, my background was FMCG. Um, I ran the management, uh, excuse me, ran the supply chain for United Biscuits um, uh, globally. And then before that, I was procurement uh, with Mars at Pedigree Pet Foods. So a long history of either working for the manufacturers or for the retailers in terms of how do you manage costs and how do you navigate difficult periods? And this is unprecedented, I think, but there is some learning that we can take from that combined 20 years of experience. So, so that's me, and hopefully, I can make a valid contribution.
0: Absolutely. Um, it sounds like you're all perfectly placed to provide some really interesting insights and, and perspectives on what's a fundamentally changed and changing sector, I think it's safe to say. Um, So The first topic I wanted to touch upon is the impact of some key measures introduced by recent legislation designed to assist distressed businesses ride the storm that we're in. Um, It's clear that businesses in the retail sector will have been key beneficiaries of of those kind of measures. Um, So I wondered, Roger, if you could sort of take us through those measures and give us your views on on how retailers, food and beverage operators are, are making best use of them.
2: Yeah, thanks, Caroline. I mean, I guess when we talk about retail in this context, to, to a large extent, we're talking about food and beverage today, um, other leisure and hospitality, and sort of brick, bricks and mortar brands, um, and, and so particularly those retailers with a bricks and mortar presence. So I think it's fair to say that pre-COVID, um, retailers weren't having the best time there anyway. Um, we had Brexit, um, continuous, you know, high rents, business rates, constantly complained of the threat of Amazon and other retailers, I suppose, bricks-and-mortar restaurants, um, the threat from um, you know, delivery, Just Eat, Uber Eats, okay, those restaurants were offering, offering their own sort of delivery services, etc. But again, it, it has had an effect, no doubt, on footfall. And so I suppose um, COVID came along at a time when a lot of these retailers were already in a very difficult position. And uh, COVID obviously exacerbated it, the government imposed a shutdown, retailers had to close. So the government did move quickly uh, in order to introduce certain measures to prevent hostile action being taken against retailers in order to give them the breathing space they needed. A temporary uh, restriction on on, on business rates, lifting of business rates for 12 months for retailers, um, the prevention of the use of um, winding up petitions, statutory demands to um, force companies into uh, liquidation if they didn't pay their, their 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 um rent and other liabilities as they fell due um the ban on commercial landlords from taking steps to forfeit commercial leases um was also another very important um uh, tool in a landlord's armory taken away uh, in order to protect retailers during that period where they were na- unable to trade of course we had the furlough scheme uh and very recently we've had the sort of um eat out help out scheme by the government um, and I suppose today, it, it, it's, it's pretty topical. A couple of days after that scheme has ended, announcement that the furlough scheme is 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 coming to an end. And, and at the moment, Rishi Sunak hasn't any uh, new sort of uh, continuity plans in place for furloughs. I think by November, it'll be over completely. Um, come 30 September, the current bans on forfeiture and on the use of one-year petition statutory demands will come to an end. Um, and the end of September, we've also got quarter day coming, quarter three, quarter day with landlords, um, most of whom who have 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 been forced or have begrudgingly accepted uh, the non-payment of rent by their tenants in Q1 and Q2, but on the understanding that, that the resumption of rent will you know, restart in September, together with. Um, payments of installments or payments in full of the Q1 and Q2 rents that haven't been paid so far. So I think September and into October represents the sort of uh, perfect storm, unfortunately, for retailers where um, they're going to have to start, start standing their own two feet again. Um, just coming back quickly to um, yeah, the government measures in place, the bans on forfeiture, the bans on the use of statutory demands, which as matters currently stand, will end at the 30th of September, the government does have the power to extend those measures um, without further consultation um, with Parliament, uh, and it remains to be seen whether they will impose that. Uh, if they don't extend, uh, then particularly in relation to landlords, um, all, all tenants will have to rely on, really, is the kind of the government's recently imposed code of conduct for commercial tenants, uh, which is a voluntary code. And in circumstances where landlords are suffering too in this, highly geared landlords who are... Um, you know, have, have have significant financial obligations to their lenders. Uh, I think we could see a, a, a something of a a very difficult time between landlords and tenants uh, come the end of the month. Uh, but I'll, I'll hand over to Jason Nigel for any
3: any any insight they might have had to that. I think it shouldn't be understated in terms of the difficulty that the sector was facing already, and unusual for me to say this actually, but. Uh, some credit does have to be given to the government in a way because things like the furlough scheme have provided some breathing space. Um, and I think that the smarter organizations out there have used that breathing space to face into some of the issues that they had to face into anyway. So so if I think I'll say, let's use an example of restaurants. I was talking to a CEO recently In rough numbers, a 500 million turnover business. So he was saying, you know, that's a million a week. Um, And I had costs, I'm a reasonably well run business, and I had costs of 900 a week. And within a few weeks, the 900 a week was, was, excuse me, the million a week was stopped. And I had to very much adjust my business model because I had to switch off 900 very, very quickly. And that came at a time where, that business was already extended by taking up expensive leases in less attractive sites and facing increased competition. So I think furlough, for example, took away very quickly one of the key costs and allowed a business like that to think about how it was going to restructure. It forced that business to think about which sites it had to close. Um, It forced that business to think about what the offer was going to be going forward. Um, And it gave the organisation the breathing space to do that. And I think that, dare I use the expression, smarter businesses have therefore been able to uh, rightly take advantage of those schemes and, and that has enabled them to survive, frankly. And I think what we're now facing into is the next phase, which is having survived, having slashed my costs to meet the very little income that I've had over the last X months, I now need to start to think about how I'm going to drive recovery, and I think that's, you know, I'm sure that's the way the direction this conversation is going. But, but to be fair, I think those schemes have really helped. Um, And and as I say, it's unusual for me to say that about a political situation, a government of any colour.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because there obviously are short-term measures, and I think it would probably be naive of any of us to think that they are a complete solution. They're obviously not. They've given. An opportunity to businesses to survive. Um, So I guess really the kind of the question going on from survive this period, you take advantage of of an opportunity that's being given to you. Um, But then I wonder if we can kind of touch on your views on really how then these businesses going forward, having got through the, the really critical phase, can take a look at their businesses and use restructurings either in the more formal sense of the word or kind of internally, internally looking at their efficiencies to achieve the sort of long-term goal of survival, not just getting through this this sort of critical period?
1: I mean, just touching on um, some of the points that Roger made and and Nigel made, um, I think in summary the position is this, is that there's been a a build-up of non-payment over the last several months. Um, Companies in various sectors and industries have been... Withholding payment and government measures have been put in place to uh, protect them from that non payment. Um, And the government has been putting money into those businesses to help them pay certain liabilities that must be paid going forward. Um, That does come to an end in the next few months. Um, Also, what's been happening over the last several months is that those companies suffer from a lack of income. So there's been a build-up of non-payment, there's been a lack of income, and the protections and um, and uh, monies that have been put in by the government do come to an end at the same time. So once these protections and incentives come to an end, you're left with two sides. One side is going to be pushing for payment heavily, and the other side is going to be um, struggling to make those payments. Um One way in which you can look to restructure your business, as Nigel has said, is to look at your supply chain, reduce your costs, um, speak to to landlords, see if you can arrange payment plans with them. Um, But there will be some businesses um, that suffer terribly during this period that aren't going to survive just by um, cost-cutting. The supply chain, albeit that is a, that's an important part of restructuring. So businesses are, and they are at the moment, um, but others are going to have to look at restructuring their businesses um, for the demand um, that's going to be uh, out there for for their products going forward. So take, for instance, London as a as a as a vibrant city. Um, I'm here today, and it's it's empty. Um, the shops aren't open. Um, there's significantly decreased footfall. So is that going to change in the in, in the short term or indeed the long term? I mean what we're hearing at the moment is that some businesses are asking employees to go back a few days a week. others are doing doing that on a voluntary basis and some businesses are not looking at bringing back their employees for several months perhaps indefinitely. Um, So there's going to be significant impact on certain trades, certainly in the food and beverage sector in London. And I think it's inevitable that they're going to have to restructure somehow, Um, whether it's downsizing premises, whether it's um, reducing their footprint in London, or Taking themselves out of London, it's, it's I mean that that's something that they would need to look at. But during this period, um, directors' boards um, should be should have and should be using it to take stock, take stock of um, the situation they're in, make sure that their financial records, uh, accounts, and cash flow projections are up to date and are realistic regularly meet, have board meetings, dissenting directors, air your concerns at those meetings and have them recorded and focus on cash collections. But you'd also need to plan forward. How are you going to operate with a reduced footfall um, in, in those towns and city centers that you're operating um, and contingency plan and contingency planning can be combination of working with lawyers um, and um, restructuring firms, or dealing with those matters in-house. in house. But in any case,
3: planning is key to this. I'm just going to hand over to Nigel. I'm absolutely with you in that, again, this thing about there's going to be a significant change in customer consumer behavior as a result of the way we've been living our lives for the last six months. <clears throat> and that's on the back of an already trend which was a trending situation, which was hurting retailers. So I suspect, and who am I to know, but not least because I've been living in one room for the last six months, but <laughs> what the rest of the world is doing, but, but I suspect that what's happening out there is that people are getting used to not going to the restaurant quite so much. They're getting even more used to ordering what they need online from online retailers rather than putting a mask on and going to the shop. They're getting used to working from home and saving the money that it did used to cost to commute into London or drive to their office. So they're getting used to a different sort of behavior, which is going to significantly change the demand profile from an already difficult situation. And so it's almost like, there's for me, there's there's two elements to this. There is the, the incredibly difficult thing for organizations and management teams to get their head around, which is, how do I predict how my customer in the past is now going to behave? And how do I adapt my customer proposition to meet that? And, and, and that is literally people having to predict and think how it could be. and So that's really, really difficult. So, so predicting what my sales are going to be, predicting how I need to change my offer, change the way I work is really difficult because you can't really take a lot of history to apply that. What you can do, however, is on your existing cost structures and whether that's areas where people such as CRS can come in or people such as Procure 4 can come in, but on your existing things in terms of your leases, your obligations, your supply chain, your costs, well, I can learn from history in terms of how I manage and control that. So whilst I'm getting my brain around the front end, I can actually address the other stuff, and I think that this is a big change for management teams and CEOs, because a lot of those CEOs and management teams have grown up, I know we can go back to 2008, but have grown up in a period of like-for-like growth, opening new stores, getting new brands out there. Their success is born off the back of that, and that's what they enjoy talking about. And my fear is they're going to enjoy talking about how do we predict this new world? How do we address this customer proposition? And I need to do that first because I need to reopen stores and get things going. Actually, what they've got to do is carve out time and say, we are going to do that because that is critical and that is the priority. But at the same time, because I've got limited resources, because my sales are going to be limited whatever I do, the next x month i have to sort out my cost base i have to sort out what i can control and i think the smarter organizations need to do both what what i'm starting to see is is that where organizations are saying i need these smart people over here to get their brain around the customer but i also need these people at the concurrently to be doing this other organizations are saying oh gosh i'm really limited and I've got to focus on reopening stores and sales and getting my workforce. Of course, that's all true. But if you only do that, you're in real danger because you—you you, that is unpredictable. You've got to get everything sorted. And I think, I think that's really challenging for organizations because the agenda is so broad. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a real challenge for organizations. Roger, what do you think? Yeah, Nigel, completely agree, and I think I think bring
2: that point back to, back to you know, Caroline's, Caroline's sort of um, leading question about what companies can do to restructure in the interim, whether formal or otherwise. As you say, Nigel, it's it's going to be slightly difficult to say. Well, how many how many employees I'm going to need to do a certain job at the moment? I don't know what my demand is going to be. Um, but things like property costs, as you say, and we're seeing a trend already of 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 the C, the return of the CVA, the retail company warranty arrangement an arrangement with your creditors where you offer them pence and the pound or a change to certain terms of conditions um, in order to affect the survival of the company. And a CVA is going to be used and is being used already by retailers uh, to reset their relationship with their landlords. So if you have a, a multiple site restaurant chain uh, and you've got no idea, as Nigel says and Jason says in London, what your demands is going to be. You can put a cva proposal to your creditors which says to the landlords i know i've been paying you this rent under the lease and you've got an upwards only rent, rent review clause in your lease but going forward at least for the next say three years we're going to pay you 15 percent of turnover and all of a sudden you eliminate um that very significant fixed cost uh, and it then becomes referable purely to the amount of turnover the, the, the restaurant premises generates now sometimes it's uh, you know, a, a minimum guaranteed rental payment but actually in the current climate I think mean, companies are proposing uh, turnover rents without any minimum guarantee. We've just seen um, you know one of, one of the one of the the sort of empty restaurants or you know that Jason talks about in the middle of London itsu a very popular professionals at lunchtime to go and grab an itsu. they've just done a CVA doing exactly this they've they've, they've reset their, their relationship with their landlords to say we're going to pay you turnover rents for the next three years. Other retailers are doing it as well. So I think whereas CVAs fell out of fashion a bit at the end of last year, uh, with landlords simply saying, we don't like these, we don't like being in, having these rent changes imposed on us, I think in the current climate, landlords are going to have to, for want of a better word, get real um, as to the current situation on the high street. Um, and CVAs are going to go through, uh, and insulting practitioners are advising. Uh, food and beverage retailers and other retailers, bricks and mortar retailers on on the benefits of a CVA. Um, and uh, so I think that uh, that's something for the next three months.
0: Caroline? I think that's a really good phrase. To, they need to sort of get real. Have you seen much experience of how they are responding to requests from tenants to to Structure leases in, in a very different way. Are they? Um, are there some that are kind of understanding the need to just be way more commercial about it, or are some playing a bit harder ball? Is is there a feeling in the industry of, of that? Yeah,
2: I think there is actually. Um, and and last year we saw um, various high profile challenges to uh, CBAs from a lot of the landlords, and their instant reaction to a new CBA proposal was, "We're going to reject it." Um, In the current climate, CVAs are offering landlords the opportunity to move to a turnover rent, or if they're not happy with it, to take their premises back. Uh, And and that that sort of gets around any argument that the um, terms being proposed are unfair on the landlord, because they say if you you don't like it, you can have your property back. Um, And in the current climate, demand for restaurant premises it's probably an all-time low. So, you know, I don't. I'm not. I don't. When I say they've got to get real, it's not a sort of standard landlord landlord bashing technique. Um, uh, you know, they're often they're often painted as the villain of the piece, and actually, we're seeing landlords going out of business at the moment as well, both big and small, uh, as a result of this. Um, but I think they are start. They, they their immediate reaction to the CVA dropping on their desk is, we cannot possibly contemplate or allow, allow this to go ahead. And then they say, "Well, what's the alternative? We've got an empty site for another twelve months, and we get the rates liability back." Um, So, so yes, I think there has been a change in in landlords' approaches. Um, And I'm asking for several landlords on a on on another retail CBA where where this has happened. Um, And begrudgingly, towards the end of the period where they got the opportunity to get the property back, they say, "Well, okay, it's 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 better than nothing. It's some it's some rental income. It's something we can show to our lenders." at least we've got some cash coming through the door
0: and if really the objective is to kind of get our cities operating and buzzing again then there is an onus on all parties really to to not have empty premises and and have london as it's looking at the moment as you say
2: no i i think that's right i think i think i think everyone is everyone is going to suffer short to medium-term pain
0: great well um time flies. I think we're probably already nearing nearing our, our close time. But before I wanted to wrap up, I thought it would be helpful for listeners to really hear kind of a top tip from each of you. You've all clearly got a, a ton of experience in the industry and are very busy at the moment with assisting a number of parties. So if we could go uh, Roger, Jason and Nigel with um, the top sort of takeaway
2: yeah, I'll 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 do what I always do and just focus on on landlords and tenants again. Um, I would just say that if you know if you as a retailer know that you're not going to be able to hit your September quarterly payment, or the deferred Q1 and Q2 rental payments you've agreed to make, uh, early communication with landlords is absolutely key because you can bet your bottom dollar that come 30 September, landlords will be looking to use statutory demands and winding up petitions again to force payment. Uh, and so, if you, you have an opportunity now to renegotiate terms, whether whether informally or through the use of a the CVA, then take the opportunity to do it now. Um, as Nigel says, ad- address your liabilities now, uh, and, and 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 seek to reduce them or compromise them wherever you can. Otherwise, there'll be a nasty shock.
0: Jason,
1: in my view, I think the well, you know what um, boards and directors should be doing is um, be prepared to adapt to the the new situation we're in Um, be prepared to react quickly um, to changes in demand and try and maintain as much flexibility as possible Um, be that with landlords or your supply chain Um, there are several different restructuring tools that are available um, to companies in these situations Um, and if um, the board decides that it's it's um, in a situation that it cannot get itself out of, it should look at those restructuring tools and, and speak to us um, and speak to procure for about how we can all work together to resolve those issues. Um, but in the meantime, um, as I said earlier, um, board should ensure that they keep accurate records of the decisions that they're making keep all their forecasts and, and, and accounts up to date and regularly review those. Um, and the most critical is contingency plan because we don't know what's going to happen next week, next month. Um, businesses are starting to reopen, the trains are going to get busier, and city centres are going to, there's going to see more footfall. Um, but what we don't, what we can't plan for is Um, the next time the government decides that we need to go into
3: uh, another lockdown. So contingency planning is absolutely key. I think the danger when CEOs, management teams hear people like me advocating cost control and focus on costs is that they maybe understandably fear that what we're saying is, well, we'll take some olives off the pizza or (laughs) we'll only clear the stores once a day rather than twice a day, and it's going to erode the brand um, or the customer proposition. Um, I, I I think that my message is that you organizations and retailers in particular have to continue to focus first on their customer. Um, over the last 10 years or so, that has meant though I think that they've tried to offer broader ranges, better offer, trying to second guess the customer, trying to satisfy or create needs that maybe didn't exist. And I think now is the time to to really understand what your customer needs are and what they want to buy in the current marketplace. And then to look at your organization and say, right, we are going to excel at doing our bit extremely well. And that probably means narrowing our range, being more targeted in our offers, and focusing on our cost base uh, to meet that. And in so doing, we reduce the complexity in our business, we reduce the costs in our business, and we continue to satisfy that customer and retain our brand standing. And I think that's the balance for organizations coming out of this. Yes, you have to understand the changing needs of the customer and satisfy that, but at the same time, you can get your costs under control, you can sort out your leases and everything else that we've talked about on this call, and you can be stronger in the new world. And I think that's, that's for once of anything else, I think that would be my one sort of bit of advice.
0: There's some really, really fascinating insights, um, hugely thought-provoking. Nice and varied. <laughs> We're coming at it from different angles, which is great, and I hope of great assistance to our listeners as as they look ahead to hopefully achieve survival of their organisations and ultimately future success. So, thank you very much. If there are questions that arise as a result of what you've heard us um, talk about today, or more generally, then we have a generic email address, which is retailrecovery at So, don't hesitate to drop us a line if there is anything that you wish to discuss with us further. Um, Just remains for me to say thank you to Roger, Jason and Nigel for joining me today um, and wish you all the very best of luck. This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast.